This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufal and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm Jason Pufal, uh, your host, uh, joined as always by Steve Mareska and Matt Fasaro. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, nice to be here. So we are going to record an episode today about the first couple of hours or maybe even the first day uh, of response during a ransomware attack, right? Ransomware is top of mind for a lot of clients that we have. Uh, we do a lot of incident response. Um, I think we've done enough that we know you really what the, the, the criticality is for the beginning of these incidents, right? Um, so I'll, I'll kind of tee it off, right? The, you get hit with a ransomware, uh, you're probably you also the, the IT guy or maybe a security person who identifies it and you're concerned right away with that containment piece, right? How do you stop it? How do you slow the attack? What's the first major step that somebody should take to protect themselves? Right. So I think the first thing we always tell, uh, especially the business leaders, right? Is that's usually who we're talking to first. Uh, they get in contact with us, want to know what it is they should do. We're usually telling them, hey, it's time to take the internet out, Right. Yeah, it's a it's disruptive, but you know that's part of the process. It's it's one of those key steps that we recommend to stop the bleeding and buy time to respond appropriately. You know, it impacts business. That's part of the conversation, but doing so is really a recommendation that's uh, tolerable at that phase. Business is already impacted. It's not going to necessarily harm too much, and ultimately. You know, it's the recommendation today of the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to proceed in that fashion. It, it's reasonable to act in that way. And, you know, whether you're a business leader or IT directing, you, you know, it's it's important that you feel able to make that type of decision and support it when it's made. Right. It's, it's important to cut that lifeline off from the attacker. We don't want them moving around anymore, introducing any more uh, anomalies or uh, artifacts into the systems that we now need to go and look for or stop. So, so what's that mean? Ultimately, we're, we're severing a connection, but you know, we, we think of that in multiple ways. You want to stop outbound communication to the internet. You want to stop the internet from reaching in. And as a complement, if there are multiple sites involved, stop connectivity between them. Right, exactly. So you make a good point though, Steve, which is it is a big deal, right? There's that perception that shutting down the internet causes business interruptions where maybe you're not really feeling a huge business interruption already, right? So, you know, we've seen events where somebody calls and says, hey, we've noticed encrypted files. And, you know, we recognize that as maybe the pre precursor for a larger attack or, you know, an ongoing activity. Um, there might not be any ob other obvious issues, right? So now you've got a security practitioner potentially making a call to take a pretty drastic step that might not be supported by management, right? So, you know, we're talking about that, hey, what do you do in the first couple of hours? But the reality is you want to have those conversations early because it's important to have that buy-in from the top to give you permission to take a step like that. Um, so if people are listening to this, I would say, you know, immediately, you know, let somebody else who is in a decision-making position hear this because it is critically important, right? You want to take steps to stop this attack as quickly as you can. Yeah, the conversation changes a lot too when you start talking about, hey, now we have data exfiltrated that um, may have been going on while you've got the internet up and running. Right. The faster you get that cut offline, the less you may have to worry about that, right? We, we want to take that out of the equation anytime that we can. Right, and, and that's the data exfiltration question. That's something that may not be known until literal weeks after the incident has 
you know, by all rights concluded from a business operation standpoint. So instead of thinking about it and wondering about it, just cut it off at the knees and prevent it from being a possibility. Might it still have occurred prior to encryption of data? Absolutely. But you're minimizing the potential for it to proceed thereafter. Yeah, so so there's no argument here then, right? Step one is containment. Absolutely. Deal, deal with that right out of the gates, right? Uh, step two, I feel like we're always concerned about backup data because in these events, clearly that's one of the main, you know, maybe a secondary attack, right? It's you know, encrypt something locally, always go after the backup data and, and make it more difficult to recover, right? So how do you protect that or, or what steps do you take there? Yeah, I mean, this is another situation of get it offline, right? Um, don't let it be reachable. Uh, make sure that if it has to be reachable for some reason, that the same credentials aren't used to go and manage your systems that may already be compromised, manage your backup system, right? We want to separate those two away. Um, the, uh, the the backups are targeted so much now. We see them in scripts. We see them uh, in malware itself, trying to find you know vendor names that are out there to go and look for systems. So they're, they're definitely part of the attack path now. Right, and, and we've seen it in incidents, like Matt's saying, just as, as a case in point. Um, one of our customers with arguably robust backup infrastructure um, had their data being synchronized to Amazon, but you know the attacker gained access to Amazon, deleted it there, their replica was gone. So take swift action. It's really the best route to helping restoration to actually be achievable. Yeah, the, that's a good point, Steve. The, uh, the cloud backups now are somewhat new in a lot of organizations. I know it's not a new technology, but a lot of people are now... There's buy-in. People are moving their backups out there. People forget that you know, there's encryption keys and access and uh, API keys that work with those to actually get access to those backups. And if those are compromised, while you may have taken that local system offline, your cloud really can't come offline, right? So right. you got to protect the credentials. So generally speaking, is there a risk, so similar to shutting down the internet, is the risk stopping these backups midstream? Because that's a likely possibility, right? You could easily be severing connectivity at the time that backups are occurring. I mean, it feels like it's worth the risk. I can't imagine there's any reason that you'd say, you know, wait till the backup finishes necessarily, but I'm wondering thoughts there. Yeah, a lot of that's going to be game time decisions, right? I think you're, you're going to have to take a risk-based approach to the in-flight in backup. What, what are you backing up, Right. Uh, are, are we talking about a transactional database that is going to be severely impacted by not taking that backup? You know, you, you might end up with you know, hundreds, sometimes terabytes worth of uh, data sitting there that's going to just keep growing. Um, so I think risk has a lot to do with that. But normally systems, you could probably live without that backup. You know, stop that backup that's in flight and protect what's there. There's another consideration, of course, you know, Modern backup infrastructure is tolerant of interruption of a backup job. Um, they're built around that. Frankly, most of them have some sort of a an assumption that there might be a lossy connection between the source system and the target system. It's safer to do than it used to be. And you know, to Matt's point, know what you're backing up, understand the function of the backup environment, and that that's how you make your decision. Ultimately, you want to make sure that the backups you have are retained, that you're not overwriting them with potentially malicious or compromised right. information. So, you know, it's it's essential that you do so even if there is a secondary fallout. Yeah, good time to check your retention policies. Well, so I was going to say, right, this is supposed to be everything that you do in the first couple hours, but I'm going to step back again and say as a as a early activity, you always make sure you have good backups. You know, you know too many times we see clients that 
set them and forget them and never actually check to see if the data is recoverable or restorable anyway. So make sure you know, ahead of time that you actually go through some, some restoration processes and validate that data. So bringing that back to what you do in the immediate time frame, you're securing your backups, but realistically you need to make sure that they're, they're still good, right? right? So how you do that safely. I think this is sort of a segue into credential use and making sure that you access systems uh, safely. Uh, your backups, you want to check them immediately. You've just locked them down. What do you do? Well, you have to get into them somehow, most likely. Make sure that the system from which they're being accessed is secured. Nothing else can reach the backup infrastructure. Make sure that you're using accounts that are not used throughout the environment, local administrative accounts and things of that sort. Ultimately, to shift a little bit, what we care about is preservation of your infrastructure as it stands because some of it's probably still safe. But... The attacker's present. They're collecting your passwords. They're collecting usernames to use. Minimize what you do in a privileged way so that you don't give the keys away. Yeah, I'd say any incident that we've been in where a reinfection happened, it was because of that, right? Administrative credentials being used in places that they shouldn't have been recaptured. And then, so a lot of times we'll change passwords just for as a protection mechanism, right? Um, but yeah, if you're logging into systems with rolled credentials, then they're just going to get harvested again. Really good example of that is, you know, someone with a C-level position as a workstation that they really need access to. You know, the only way to get into it at that moment happens to be an account that might be highly privileged. So that, that system's compromised. Immediately it gets access, uh, gives access away to the attacker. It's just things to avoid. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's important to recognize that you know, during these active attacks, you know, the the attackers are you know potentially physically in the system monitoring your activities, right? So you really do want to make sure that you protect those credentials uh, and take steps to get them out of there as quickly as you can. Uh, I think finally, you know, maybe a less technical approach, but something that we see overlooked a lot is reaching out to your insurance provider, right? If you've got cyber liability insurance. Uh, you know, the nice thing about those policies is they often will bring resources to bear either, you know, maybe, maybe it's forensics or incident response services. It could be legal services, uh, but you want to notify them, right? They want to, they, they ideally want to be your partners in that activity and help sort of, sort of mitigate some of the potential impact. And as a sort of a compliment, you know, they provide legal services or will involve uh, legal services and counsel. Engage your own internal counsel if you have it or your own retained counsel. They need to be part of that conversation early um, as sort of a, an outgrowth of that. That's the time to have a conversation about notification requirements. If you're a company with international sites and you're subject to GDPR, for example, you have 72 hours. It's not a lot of time. You need to report. And if you don't do that until the, the close of the incident, you've already missed your window. Yeah. Incident response, it's called you know, incident for a reason, right? It's that's something you do every day. And, and I think, when you have an issue like that, you want to reach out to a partner of some sort, right? It might be somebody like us who specifically does that sort of containment and restoration aspect. It could be the insurer who provides some guidance around uh, sort of legal requirements. But the reality is you need to know what steps to take initially and ultimately what the tail is going to be, right? What your notification requirements might be and start thinking about that early because it does help doing some of that data preservation, you know, the backup preservation, the log preservation, things that are going to give you information later are really valuable to collect or at least retain early on in the incident. Right, and to make that more tactical, it's a money-saving exercise sure. to do it early. Sure, absolutely. If you don't have to uh, provide credit monitoring for 
50,000 people <laughs> and it's 500, that's a, you know, a substantial cost difference just to provide some sort of example. And if you can get that data and constrain the scope uh, by taking those early steps. Right. And, you know, a lot of companies are just not in a position to be paying out of pocket for an incident to get resolved. Right. So if you're working hand in hand with the insurer who, you know, theoretically is hopefully going to be accepting your claim and paying for all that work with them. Right. And understand what they want for requirements so that in the end you are covered for what you're trying to get done. Well, and actually it's a good point that, you know, there are, there, this sort of is a money saving activity to some degree, right? If you can get better information through that incident response phase, it does give you information from which to make decisions later when it comes to notification and, and some of the other requirements, right? So the, the more sort of the, the more thorough you can be on that, on that containment and restoration piece, the better off you're going to be. I have a final comment, I think, regarding just overall communications. Um, it's a real common behavior to not share the fact that an incident has occurred with internal staff or with business partners until long after the fact. The truth is that the best time to start those conversations is early, and it's it's really going to maximize the perception of readiness, preparedness, and overall attention to the issue if that's done ahead of time. You know, it's a it's not a technical problem, right? right? It's purely communications, but crisis communications are rather important, and frankly, they they help to maintain business relationships and goodwill with employees, for example. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about making some major changes to op- operations during the day, right? You know, taking things offline, uh, taking the internet down. That's that's going to cause a, a lot of problems, and if you haven't been communicating that, that's what's going to happen to you know, all those stakeholders that's, <laughs> you're and people notice, you know, I mean, you're, not, you're not separating the internet and then hoping that people don't actually recognize that you've done it. So you may as well be transparent about it. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, one final thing, and, and I think this, this segues right with the beginning of it, which is, you know, we're, we've talked about disconnecting the internet. You know, you'll have conversations probably pretty quickly around re sort of, you know, opening back up key business systems, right? We never have an engagement where you leave the internet down for a week and expect no fallout. Like the conversation then is always, well, we have to have our ERP available or we have to have invoicing or, you know, some critical business system. Just be prepared to have those because I think it's okay to make some, you know, to your point, Matt, some risk-based decisions around, listen, we can't let business completely stop. We've got a couple of things that are critical. Is there a way to open them up safely for some period of time or at least at least get some usability from them, right? So you're going to have those continuity-based discussions throughout an incident. Uh, so I think finally, right, just to sort of wrap this up, uh, I think we all agree containment at the very beginning is the most important, most important thing, right? And taking probably a pretty drastic step early on can really reduce that, that downstream impact for an incident, right? So we definitely recommend... Uh, separating or disconnecting internet connectivity, uh, protecting backup data, absolutely critical, uh, making sure that you've got an offline copy that can't be uh, you know, encrypted or, or otherwise uh, affected by the attacker, um, being careful how you log into systems throughout an incident, right, to make sure that you protect those credentials from, uh, from the attacker. Uh, and I think finally really engaging early on with that insurer to get you know, either technical or sort of legal guidance throughout it, right, to help you make better decisions. Uh, All really important steps and all things that probably have to occur, really, frankly, within those first few hours. Uh, I mean, the quicker you can make those decisions, the better. Uh, 
anything that you guys want to add at all to that? Or does that feel like if you've done that in the first few hours, you're in great shape? Uh, I, I feel like that's a lot to accomplish in a couple hours, <laughs> right? And we've, we've seen it take significantly longer, but if, if you can, if you have been thinking about these things beforehand, it is easier to, uh, to accomplish some of this. Um, and yeah, the, the faster you can hit the ground and actually get to restoring and doing things like forensics, uh, the faster you can get things back online, you keep people happy. It's, it'll be a, an easier incident for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. These these are activities you perform to give yourself give yourselves the time to think, evaluate the situation, and act appropriately. Right. Yeah, and, and you know clearly we're trying to give a lot of advice in fifteen minutes for a really stressful event. Right. So we we do a ton of incident response. Uh, if anybody wants to to talk further or hear, you know, hey, what should I do? You know to prepare for an incident or what do you do? You know, what, what does the next three weeks look like once we've recovered? You know, we're happy to have those conversations as well. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out to us at, uh, you know, Vancord on LinkedIn or Vancord security on Twitter. You know, we can set up a whole other podcast around you know, other aspects of incident response and I think provide a ton more information. So, you know, thanks for joining us. Uh, as always, we hope you got some valuable information for this. Um, and, you know, for me, I think a, a major takeaway would be, let your executive leadership hear this because some of those early state decisions are disruptive. It's really important to have that buy-in early. Uh, I think hopefully this will provide some information for them to help make those decisions later on. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been Cyber Sound.